0: Beloved, our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. And bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. We turn now to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 13 in this morning. For our special service, we want to... Consider verses 9 through 13, but we'll read the first 13 verses. And he, that is Jesus, entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man, sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May God bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. This morning we also have occasion to witness an adult baptism before a confession of faith is made. So we will now turn to the back of the Psalter to the form for the Administration of Baptism. Page 126. We'll read the first section there and then we'll move over to page 128 where adult persons are addressed. The principal parts of the doctrine of holy baptism are these three. First, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are children of wrath insomuch that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God except we are born again. This, the dipping in or sprinkling with water, teaches us whereby the impurity of our souls is signified, and we admonished to loathe and humble ourselves before God and seek for our purification and salvation without ourselves. Secondly, holy baptism witnesseth and sealeth unto us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ, Therefore, we are baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. For when we are baptized in the name of the Father, God the Father witnesses and sealeth unto us that he doth make an eternal covenant of grace with us, and adopts us for his children and heirs, and therefore will provide us with every good thing, and avert all evil, or turn it to our profit. And when we are baptized in the name of the Son, The Son sealeth unto us that he doth wash us in his blood from all our sins, incorporating us into the fellowship of his death and resurrection, so that we are freed from all our sins and accounted righteous before God. In like manner, when we are baptized in the name of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost assures us by this holy sacrament that he will dwell in us and sanctify us to be members of Christ applying unto us that which we have in Christ, namely the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without spot or wrinkle among the assembly of the elect in life eternal. Thirdly, whereas in all covenants there are contained two parts, therefore are we by God through baptism admonished of and obliged unto new obedience. Namely, that we cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that we trust in him and love him with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, and with all our strength, that we forsake the world, crucify our old nature, and walk in a new and holy life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sin, we must not therefore despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin. Since baptism is a seal and undoubted testimony that we have an eternal covenant of grace with God. Page 128. However, children of Christian parents, although they understand not this mystery, must be baptized by virtue of the covenant. Yet it is not lawful to baptize those who are come to years of discretion, except they first be sensible of their sins... And make confession both of their repentance and faith in Christ. For this cause did not only John the Baptist preach, according to the command of God, the baptism of repentance, and baptized for the remission of sins those who confess their sins, Mark 1 and Luke 3. But our Lord Jesus Christ also commanded his disciples to teach all nations, and then to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Matthew 28 and Mark 16 adding this promise, "...he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved." According to which rule the apostles, as appears from Acts 2, 10, and 16, baptized none who were of years of discretion, but such as made confession of their faith and repentance. Therefore it is not lawful now to baptize any other adult person than such as have been taught the mysteries of holy baptism by the preaching of the gospel." and are able to give an account of their faith by the confession of the mouth. That therefore this holy ordinance of God may be administered to his glory, to our comfort, and to the edification of his church, let us call upon his holy name. Let us pray. O almighty and eternal God, thou who hast according to thy severe judgment punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, And hast, according to thy great mercy, saved and protected, believing Noah and his family. Thou who hast drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, and hast led thy people Israel through the midst of the sea upon dry ground, by which baptism is signified, we beseech thee that thou wilt be pleased of thine infinite mercy, graciously to look upon this person and incorporate her by thy Holy Spirit into thy Son, Jesus Christ that she may be buried with him into his death and be raised with him in newness of life, that she may daily follow him, joyfully bearing his cross and cleave unto him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love, that she may, with a comfortable sense of thy favor, leave this life, which is nothing but a continual death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ thy Son, through Jesus Christ our Lord who with thee and the Holy Ghost, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Lisa, I now ask you to arise and answer the following questions. Since therefore thou, Lisa Shen, art also desirous of holy baptism, to the end that it may be to thee a seal of thine ingrafting into the church of God, That it may appear that thou dost not only receive the Christian religion in which thou hast been privately instructed by us, and of which also thou hast made confession before us, but that thou, through the grace of God, intendest and purposest to lead a life according to the same, thou art sincerely to give answer before God in his church. First, do you believe in the only true God, distinct in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who has made heaven and earth? And all that in them is of nothing, and still maintains and governs them, insomuch that nothing comes to pass, either in heaven or on earth, without, without his divine will. I'll just read through the questions, and you can give an answer to them all at the end. Secondly, dost thou believe that thou art conceived and born in sin, and therefore art a child of wrath by nature, wholly incapable of doing any good, and prone to all evil? that thou hast frequently in thought, word, and deed transgressed the commandments of the Lord, and whether thou art heartily sorry for these sins. Thirdly, dost thou believe that Christ, who is the true and eternal God and very man, who took his human nature on him out of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, is given thee of God to be thy Savior, and that thou dost receive by this faith remission of sins in his blood, That thou art made by the power of the Holy Ghost a member of Jesus Christ and his church. Fourthly, dost thou assent to all the articles of the Christian religion as they are taught here in this Christian church according to the word of God and purpose steadfastly to continue in the same doctrine to the end of thy life? And also, dost thou reject all heresies and schisms repugnant to this doctrine and promise to persevere in the communion of the Christian church? not only in the hearing of the word, but also in the use of the Lord's Supper. And fifth, hast thou taken a firm resolution always to lead a Christian life, to forsake the world and its evil lusts as is becoming the members of Christ and his church, and to submit thyself to all Christian admonitions? What is your answer, Lisa? The good and great God mercifully grant his grace and blessing to this thy purpose, through Jesus Christ, Amen. I now ask Pastor Yin to come and baptize you, so you can come up to the kneeling bench here. Lisa Shen, I baptize, baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us now give thanks in the words of the the form. Almighty God and merciful Father, we thank and praise Thee that Thou hast forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of Thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and received us through Thy Holy Spirit as members of Thine only begotten Son, and adopted us to be Thy children, and sealed and confirmed the same unto us by holy baptism. We beseech Thee through the same Son of Thy love, that Thou wilt be pleased always to govern this baptized person by Thy Holy Spirit that she may lead a Christian and godly life and increase and grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ, that she may acknowledge thy fatherly goodness and mercy which thou hast shown to her and to us and live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King and High Priest, Jesus Christ, that she may manfully fight against and overcome sin, the devil and his whole dominion to the end, that he may eternally praise and magnify thee and thy Son, Jesus Christ together with the Holy Ghost, the one, only, true God. Amen. I now ask the Confession of Faith class to arise and answer the following questions. Do you acknowledge the doctrine of our church, which you have learned, heard, and confessed to be the true and complete doctrine of salvation, conforming with the sacred scriptures? Do you promise, by the grace of God, To continue steadfastly in the profession of this doctrine and to live and die in accordance therewith. Third, do you promise at all times to conduct yourself conformably to this doctrine, faithfully, honorably, and beyond reproach, and to adorn your confession with good works? Do you promise that you will submit to admonition, correction, and church discipline in the event, which God forbid, that you may become delinquent either in doctrine or in life. Faith, Carlson, what is your answer? Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. Psalm 130, verse 7. What is your answer, Monica Chavez? If thou wilt receive my words... And hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. Anna Engelsma, what is your answer? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Romans fifteen thirteen. What is your answer, Kate Engelsma? I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. Hosea 14, verse 4. verses 8 and 9. At this point, Jordan Camp would have made confession of faith and for his parents and for his grandparents and for family and friends, I want to share this verse with you. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Revelation 21, verse 4. Luis, Loiza, what is your answer? Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. Karen Loaiza, what is your answer? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 through 25. Jonathan Quaco, what is your answer? Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Proverbs 23 23. Matthew Quakel, what is your answer? For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Proverbs 8, verse 7. Lucas Meshki, what is your answer? But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. Psalm 52, verse 8 and 9. Lisa Shen, what is your answer? Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Psalm 31, verse 24. Christian Sykema, what is your answer? But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee, for thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous with favor, with thou compass him as with a shield. Psalm 5, verse 11 and 12. Lorentz and Elsoff, what is your answer? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1, 15. Zach what is your answer? Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Mark 9, 23 and 24. Ethan Teese, what is your answer? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. Melanie Van Dalen, what is your answer? He, that is Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Romans 4, 20 and 21. John Van Giesen, what is your answer? Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Romans twelve, nine through twelve. Shao Xiao Wang, what is your answer? Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths, lead me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation, on thee do I wait all the day. Psalm twenty five, verse four and five. Yanji Zhu, what is your answer? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy two, fifteen. And as a class, I chose this text for you from Joshua 1, 9. Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Making confession of faith, Is daunting. Questions arise inevitably as you stand here this morning and as you go forward from this place. Questions that indicate there are giants in front of you, just like the giants were in front of Joshua as he faced the conquest of the promised land. Questions like this Am I sincere enough in my confession? Do I believe enough? Will I persevere in a culture and a world that is against Christ and His church? What if I turn out to be a hypocrite? What if this is only head knowledge and not heart knowledge? How can I possibly contribute to the church when I don't seem gifted with anything at all? How can God use a sinful person like me? Don't my sins stand in the way of making a good confession? All these questions and questions like that can arise. Giants that stand in the way of commitment and following the lord but the words of your class text are foundational in answering any and all questions that come your way as you make confession of faith the lord says to joshua as he faces the giants of the land be strong and of a good courage be not afraid neither be thou dismayed there're two positive statements there and two statements two negative statements be strong and have courage Those are the two positive statements, two traits that are vital for making confession of faith this morning, to be strong, to live out your confession with integrity and sincerity. And then there are two negative statements, don't fear and don't be dismayed. The two positive statements, to be strong and to be of good courage, addresses those two negative statements. They fill the lack that those two negative statements bring, fear and dismay. We naturally lack spiritual courage and spiritual strength. And so we naturally fear and we're naturally dismayed when things become hard. We examine ourselves and we see what lives within. But if we take these statements this morning as standalone statements, if God would just say to you this morning, be strong and of good courage, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, those would just be four self-help statements this morning. God doesn't leave us with just self-help statements this morning, does He? The rest of the verse tells us that these statements are grounded in something greater than you this morning. It's in who God is for His people. God says to Joshua and to you this morning, Be strong and of a good courage, neither be thou dismayed and be not afraid, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. These statements are grounded in God's presence with Joshua. God doesn't simply tell him to do these things and then cut loose Joshua on his own. God never does that. If God commands something, he also supplies what he commands. We're going to see that in the sermon as well this morning. God doesn't just cut you loose to implement these four statements, to be strong and of good courage. Not to be afraid, not to be dismayed. Because if it was up to us, we would always be afraid. We would always be dismayed. But God calls you to look to him, his presence that he promises here. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Whether Joshua faced giants, or Achan's in the camp, or the Gibeonites, or the man with the drawn sword in Joshua 5, wherever he went, God was with him. This was an ironclad guarantee from God to Joshua. This was the foundation for Joshua moving forward into the promised land in spite of the obstacles he was going to face. This presence of God, the very God himself being with Joshua, was the foundation, the ground upon which Joshua could be strong and courageous, in which he could subdue his fears and his dismay. The strength and courage that God commanded him to was drawn down from the Lord's presence with him. Joshua could address his fear and dismay with the presence of the Lord. If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul says in Romans 8. And so, with the Lord behind him, beside him, in front of him, and within him, Joshua had no reason to fear. Joshua was stronger than all the giants of the land. Joshua could lead the children of Israel with Achan in the camp. Joshua could stand before the man with the drawn sword, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. He could stand there with strength and courage because God was with him. And so how will you move forward this morning? Trusting in the Lord's presence That means that God is there to assist you. You're not doing this alone. You're not entering battle alone. By spirit-wrought faith, you can depend on God, on who He is and what He does. Only then, when you depend on God, will you have strength and courage. It speaks to the necessity of faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in God. So when the questions arise then, when the spiritual struggles are real, when the dryness comes perhaps, when sin seems greater, when doubts obscure your vision of Christ, remember that God promises to be with those who depend on Him alone. So don't rely on yourself this morning. That's not the basis for making confession. But rely on God and this promise for I will be with thee whithersoever thou goest. Wherever you go, whatever you face, God promises to be with those who trust in him, who see that they can't do it in themselves and cast themselves on his mercy. And so I encourage you to lean on God this morning as you make confession of faith, as you face questions, as you face giants, as you face enemies, your own self. Remember this promise. For I am with you, whithersoever thou goest. Therefore, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, neither be dismayed. Rest and trust in God alone. The text for this morning is from Matthew 9, 9 through 13. We already read that. I'm now going to read it again at this time. Congregation, Confession of Faith class young people in particular this morning, there's always something or someone that's calling you and saying, follow me, follow me. It's a call you hear almost daily, if not hourly or by the moment. In the world of social media, you can follow a page, an author, an influencer, a celebrity. All these voices are saying, follow me. Maybe for some of us older ones, we become embroiled in the world of politics. You follow an ideology and you you live it out just as the person behind the ideology has said, even in the Christian life. Isn't it true that sometimes we can follow certain pastors that resonate with us, those who are popular, well-spoken, or famous in the Reformed world or beyond? Just a few examples of the calls to follow. Our hearts are always following something. What we follow reveals what we worship. Just like we heard last week, whatever voice we are listening to reveals what we worship at the very deepest level of our hearts. But this morning, as you've made confession of faith, as most, I trust, here this morning have made confession of faith, and we re examine what we've done this morning. We need to hear a better call this morning, a better call to follow, a better person to follow, to become part of a better movement to follow. Our theme is this, follow me, Christ's call to discipleship. Follow me. Christ's call to discipleship. In our text this morning, Matthew hears a voice. It's not the voice of money now. It's the voice of Jesus. As Jesus passes from Capernaum, he sees Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, sitting at his booth, collecting the taxes. And he speaks to Matthew. He speaks to Matthew not as a mere influencer, not just as a teacher, but as the sovereign savior. He comes from Capernaum, he sees Matthew. He's come from healing the paralytic who was let down through the roof by his four friends. Children, you know that story, don't you? Jesus saw their faith. He healed the man. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. He bid him take up his bed and walk. And the man was healed. The Pharisees grumbled that Jesus claimed to have the power to forgive sins. The people marveled in verse 8 that Jesus had that power from God to forgive sins and to heal this paralytic. But he comes now again, passes by Matthew to display that same power. We read these words. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. What does Jesus see? He sees a man, a man like you and me, He sees a tax collector, a man not worthy of the approval of his fellow countrymen, the Jews, a man who had sold his soul for what Roman coins could give him, a man sold out to the Romans, a man who robbed his own people, a man who lived by the rule of greed rather than the rule of generosity. We would look at him, and what would we say? Not much potential, is there? How could that man be changed? How could that man who has lived like that for for his entire life, one man who, who lived for greed and gain, how could he be saved? Every day, he was listening to the voice. There's more money to be had. There's more wealth to amass. There's more friends to make and to party with. It doesn't matter that my fellow countrymen don't like me very much. Every day, he went back to the place of exchange The place where he would exchange his soul for a few Roman coins. But Jesus saw him. And what would Jesus want with a man like that? Well, even the very fact that we read he saw a man named Matthew indicates to us divine intentionality. Everything Jesus does has a purpose. Jesus never wasted any moments. He never wasted any interactions. He never wasted any words. Never wasted any looks. It's not that he just happened to see Matthew. He saw Matthew with divine foresight, and he goes and he calls him to follow Jesus. And just so, Jesus is looking this morning. He's looking at you and me. The fact that you are here this morning, the fact that you've made confession of faith this morning, indicates that Jesus is coming to this place. We've heard His word. We're hearing the preaching of the gospel. It's not my voice. It's not my word. It is the voice of the Son of God, as we heard last week Sunday evening from Hebrews 1 through whom God speaks with finality and with authority to each one of us this morning. It's the sight of a sovereign Savior who places himself firmly in your line of vision this morning, even as he puts you in his line of vision through the preaching of the gospel. He sees you exactly where you are. He sees you in your condition. He knows your heart. He knows what you've exchanged your soul for this past week. He knows whether you're following him in sincerity. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He comes with authority. And he says, follow me. He comes with mercy and grace. And he calls from the tax collector's booth. He comes. He calls from the place of exchange this morning to come and to follow him. And he says, Stop exchanging your soul for, for a piece of bread that will not satisfy, for a fleeting desire that will leave you empty. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the waters. Come without money. Without price, come and follow me. He comes, he sees, he speaks. Are you hearing his voice this morning? This call is not just to follow him when you feel like it. When you feel on your game to follow Christ. When you feel off your game, you can just go your own way. This is a radical call. A radical call of discipleship to take up your cross and to follow Christ wherever he leads. Will you heed his voice? He speaks to Matthew. He says, follow me. Come after me. He speaks with with authority and power this command. Verse 8, the people marveled and glorified God for the power that Jesus had. He demonstrates that same power in this command to Matthew. Follow me. It's no less powerful in the command to Matthew than it was to the paralytic to to rise up and walk and that his sins were forgiven. Christ speaks with authority as he calls Matthew from from the receipt of custom, from the place of sin, from the place of greed, from the place of disdain and contempt, from the place of exchange. What a command it is. Follow me. What does it mean to follow someone? It means to accompany them. It means to go with a particular teacher in this context There would be teachers that would travel throughout the land of Israel and people would would follow them. But it's more than just following a teacher, isn't it? It's addressing us at the heart level this morning. The affections of our hearts, the desires of our hearts. Who is it that we're following after? What is it that we're following after? Command from Jesus involves more than just following him around for his teaching, as if Jesus is just our favorite teacher. It's to follow him for the life that he gives, for the transformation that he gives, as we will see in this narrative as well. It's to follow him. Following is also a metaphor, another way of saying believing. In Christ. Cleaving to Christ by faith. Following, staying close to Christ no matter what comes. Knowing that you're safe with Him, safe from the wrath of God against sin, safe from the tempter's power when He tempts you to sin, safe. From the hatred and the cruelty of the world that has no place for Christ in their vocabulary or their hearts. It's not just to fill your mind with His truth. But to have that truth transform your very thinking, your very heart, your very life. To transform you into the likeness of Christ. And a person would follow a teacher, they would be molded into the image of that teacher. Influenced by him. But there's more to it when we follow Jesus, isn't there? It's to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. Jesus summarizes it this way in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. If any man will come after me, Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Do you hear this command this morning to follow Christ? As you've made confession of faith this morning, you've in a sense, made a commitment to follow Christ. You've made a commitment to carrying the cross, to denying yourself. For those who are professing Christians, are you living in light of this call? Sometimes we need a reminder, don't we? need to be jolted out of our prosperity-induced coma so that we, again, have our priorities right and we follow Jesus and not what the world dictates we should follow. Follow me, Jesus says, not follow others, not follow yourself, not follow things. for those who have never been followers of Jesus this morning, in the true sense of the word, following him with your heart and soul and mind and strength, this command comes to you as well this morning. Just as it came to Matthew, as he sat at that place of exchange, exchanging his soul for money, Jesus says to you this morning, follow me. Stop following your own dreams. Stop following your own desires. Crucify them and follow Christ. And you say, well, how can I do this? Why are you just bringing a command to follow when I can't do that? We need to remember that when Jesus speaks a command and he speaks it with power, he also gives what he commands. When by the Holy Spirit that command finds a connection with our hearts, We don't have to worry about whether we're able to follow Jesus or not. We will follow Jesus. Do you realize what Jesus says to Matthew here? He's not saying, Follow me if you can. He's saying, Follow me. And in that command, he calls Matthew to, to rely on the power of Christ to transform his will in that moment. Matthew doesn't self analyze. He simply follows. He arose and followed him. There was no debate. There was no argument. There was no excuse of inability. Matthew heard. Matthew obeyed. And Matthew followed. We do the same this morning, heeding Jesus' call to follow him, to discipleship. Come what may, follow me, he says. He speaks it with grace-filled authority. That's what we need to remember. Because of that grace-filled authority, he can give what he also commands, and he does give what he commands. There are no lost causes this morning. Follow me. Trust me. I will not lead you, Jesus says, down dead-end roads. I will lead you through valleys and afflictions. So when Jesus calls with grace-filled authority, he doesn't lead down dead-end roads. He doesn't promise an easy life. He will lead through valleys and through afflictions, through a cross-shaped life. But we need to remember that when we're in the valley and Jesus has called us to follow Him that He will lead us all the way to glory. That is the glorious prospect of those who follow Christ by His grace-filled command. You see, He's worthy to follow. We don't have to follow Him blindly. Grace and truth shall mark the way where the Lord his own will lead. Follow me. No excuse. A sovereign, grace-filled command this morning to trust in Christ. But Christ would also have you count the cost this morning. To count the cost, as we see in our second thought. What did it look like for Matthew to follow Jesus? There's a lot contained in the words of verse nine here. These words, and he arose and followed him. Matthew had likely come to no great pot prosperity as as a tax collector. He had to leave his life of the pursuit of wealth. Though he was despised for his work, he was prosperous. Matthew was viewed as a betrayer of his people as he collected taxes for the Romans. He would leave his money behind. He would leave his friends behind as he followed Jesus. If being a tax collector would earn him the scorn of his countrymen, how much more following Jesus would? Jesus told his disciples, Marvel not that the world hate you, for it hated me before it hated you. In these words, Matthew left his former way of life. He left the familiar. We all know how hard it is to leave the familiar. Even sin that's familiar. He left the sins that he had coddled and embraced. He had turned his back on wealth and pleasure to follow the man from Nazareth. Because he saw something far more alluring, something far more beautiful, something far more precious than his Roman coins. It was Jesus as the Savior. My friend, If you're not following Jesus this morning, let me ask you this. Can you see through what you're serving right now other than Christ? Is Christ more alluring, more attractive, more precious than your vain and idle pursuit of worldly things? Look at what you're serving. It's perishable. It's going to pass away. It's vanity. It's like a puff of wind. It's there one moment and gone the next. The voice of Jesus breaks through Matthew's reality and he arises and follows Jesus. He leaves it all behind. What's the cost for you this morning? It means leaving behind allegiances, loves, Desires, ways of life that are not consistent with following Jesus. It's not getting easier in the day in which we live in a world and culture that that says it's okay to do this and follow Jesus. But Jesus says, follow me, exclusively me and my word and my truth. Follow me. Bid farewell to the old life of sin. Lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset you and run and run after Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Jesus challenges each one of us this morning, no matter who we are, believer or unbeliever, He challenges us. Will you count the cost and follow me? He says in Matthew 10.38, He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Will we leave all? Will we put the cross on our shoulders? Will we lean into it following Jesus, knowing that He will help us and that He indeed does carry that cross for us in His own cross? It means that as you say farewell to an old life of sin that you need to learn a new life, a new way of life as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus. In verse 10 we read these words, "...it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. It's interesting, isn't it, to realize that Jesus calls Matthew, and Matthew in turn writes this gospel. He's writing about his own calling, his own conversion, his own call to discipleship, and he simply says here that Jesus was in the house. He doesn't want to draw attention to the fact that this is his house. In the parallel accounts of Mark and Luke in Mark 2 and Luke 5, Mark and Luke tell us that this was Matthew's house. Matthew is now using his house to host Jesus. He invites his friends to, to meet Jesus because we read that, behold, drawing special attention to this fact, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. As Matthew heard the call of Jesus, his heart harbored Jesus. But now his home also harbors Jesus. There's a willingness to give up everything for Jesus as his disciple. All that he now had was focused on Jesus. That was the cost of discipleship. Matthew denied himself took up the cross and said this is no longer mine, but it's Christ. he had lived life for himself before, but now his life is lived for Jesus, for the welfare of others. Everything he had and was is now at the disposal of Jesus. And so that others might know who Jesus was. This is what a life of discipleship looks like and what it calls for. Matthew's heart was curved inwards on himself before, but now it's, it's curved outwards to Christ and to others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. Summarizes what we're learning here. When Jesus calls a man, or a woman, or a child, or a young person, He bids him come and die. That's what happened with Matthew. He died to himself, and he lived to Christ. Confession of faith class, are you ready to die to yourself? Are you ready to crucify the lusts and the desires of your heart and to follow Christ? To live with him and to live for him. Christ says to you this morning follow me with all that you are and all that you have. But there's always a challenge, isn't there, to this call of Jesus to follow him? There's always inward challenges from our own hearts, weakness of faith, doubts, fears. We already heard some of that this morning. But there's also outward challenges. In Matthew's case, it comes from the place where we would least expect it, from the religious quarters, from the Pharisees. Wouldn't they rejoice to know that a tax collector has been gained into the kingdom? Well, in verse 11, we read their response, and when the Pharisees saw it, that Matthew followed Jesus and that Matthew opened his home for Jesus and that Jesus was sitting with publicans and sinners, they said to the disciples of Jesus. Notice how they go in a roundabout way. They don't go to Jesus. They go to the, to the disciples. Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Why would your master eat with these lowlifes, we would say? question gives us an insight into how the Pharisees viewed tax collectors on the same level as prostitutes and other sinners that they deem too far gone for God it gives us a window in how they viewed others it gives us a window in how they viewed themselves as a cut above the rest as righteous in themselves why does Jesus claim friendship with these people Shouldn't he claim friendship with us? We have it all together. Surely a teacher of great stature, a man of such great power, should should associate with us, shouldn't he? I I mean, look at us. Why does Jesus claim friendship with these people, with Matthew? You see how Matthew's newfound faith is being challenged from the outside by these Pharisees. Reveals their ignorance and their self-righteousness, both of which blinded them to who Jesus was and what He came to do. It blinded them to Jesus' mercy and mission to save sinners. They did not think of themselves as sinners. In class, you will face challenges if you follow Jesus. Inward challenges, but also outward challenges. There will be people that question whether Jesus should claim friendship with you or whether you should claim friendship with Jesus. Why would Jesus eat with you and others like you? They sit on the sidelines watching. They, they themselves won't associate with Jesus. And of course their watching in a sense should make us careful in how we walk. That we don't give cause for unnecessary questioning. But but a critical spirit, a self-righteous spirit in someone else should not hold you back from friendship with Jesus, from following Jesus. Because Jesus allows himself to be drawn into Matthew's house to sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners. These men and women are no impediments to Jesus. We learn here that self-righteousness has no place at the table with Jesus. Jesus. Only those who confess that they are sinners in need of Christ are welcome at His table because that's who He eats with. That's who He saves. Self-righteousness has no place at the table. Those who are self-righteous are blinded to the reality of their own sin and need of Jesus. But Jesus does not leave his disciples at the mercy of the Pharisees. Jesus hears what they say, and he responds, and he confirms his call to Matthew. He confirms his mission to seek and to save the lost and the sinner. He overhears their challenge, and he says in verse 12 and 13, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physici- physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As Jesus confirms his call to Matthew to follow him, as Jesus confirms who he is and what he's come to do, he condemns the merciless attitude of the self-righteous Pharisee. They that behold need not a physician, but only those who are sick. Jesus uses uses the analogy from everyday life to prove the spiritual point. The person who is strong doesn't need a doctor. Think of it like this. The person who goes to CrossFit every day. He looks in the mirror. He sees the progress of his discipline, of his hard work in the gym, and a strict diet. He's strong and he's fit. He looks in the mirror and he says, I look pretty good. I don't need a doctor. But little does he realize that his insides are being eaten up by cancer. The picture reflected back to him is one of perfect health, and that's all he sees. That's true spiritually, too. The self-righteous person looks in the mirror of the law and concludes that they look pretty good. They come off pretty clean. They see the results of spiritual discipline, hard work of keeping the law, a spiritual diet asceticism perhaps, leaving off all the things that might impede their pursuit of conformity to the law they look quite healthy to themselves even robustly muscular their hard work is a veneer For the deadly sin on the inside that remains undealt with, only covered up. Such a person doesn't need a savior. They don't need a physician, Jesus says. The one who is healthy, who is strong in himself. Does that describe you this morning? And you have not heeded the call to follow Jesus. And you're following your own heart, your own standards for what it means to, to meet the righteousness of God. And you're trying to meet it yourself. And let me tell you, you'll always fail. When Jesus comes and he says, follow me. He says, I am the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. I have attained that Righteousness. By my own obedience and by my death and suffering. He says, follow me. Leave off that hard work of trying to attain your own righteousness through self-effort. But then there's another person. The sick person. They look in the mirror of the law and they say, look how sickly I am. Look where I've failed over and over again, here and here and here. How can God receive me? Such a failure, such a mess. I'm actually dying. Yes, there is a physician. There is a balm in Gilead, my friend, for those who are broken, for those who have a contrite spirit this morning. beginning to see your own need, beginning to see the tip of the iceberg of your own sin. You'll recognize your need of a Savior, of a physician. No amount of covering up will help you, you realize. No amount of getting lost in sin and pleasure will take the edge off your need. In fact, it makes it worse. Have you come to the point where you recognize in Jesus that He alone is the physician For your soul. That he alone can come between you and the mirror and stand there. And when you look in the mirror. Or when God sees you. He sees only his son. Those who are strong in themselves don't need a physician. But those who are sick. Those who are failures. Moral failures. Spiritual failures. Those are the ones whom Jesus eats with. Not to leave you there, but to change you. He says, Follow me. Have you fled your sickness this morning to follow Jesus? As Jesus condemns the self righteousness of the Pharisee, as he welcomes sinners to his own table of grace, to salvation, he gets at the heart of becoming a disciple. He tells the Pharisees, he says, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He quotes Hosea 6, verse 6. The way into the kingdom of God of becoming and remaining a disciple of Jesus does not come through hard work and sacrifice. It comes through casting oneself on mercy. You see, Jesus is after your heart this morning. He said this when Israel was backsliding, when Israel was was leaning on their sacrifices for, for acceptance with God. And children, you remember what Samuel told Saul when when he was supposed to kill all the Amalekites and what did he do? He went to to set up an offering to the Lord. He wanted to use the animals that he had taken when he plundered the Amalekites. And Samuel came and he rebuked rebuked Saul Saul and he said, obedience is better than sacrifice. A similar statement. What God requires is obedience. What God requires is a heart of love a heart of, of mercy, as it were, towards God. The essence of keeping the law is what Jesus, what Jesus is after here for, for the Pharisees. It's not by doing. It's by believing. It's not by self-righteous acts, but it's by casting oneself on mercy that we enter into the kingdom and we follow Jesus this morning. <clears throat> Drawn by the command of Christ, drawn by the mercy of Christ. Jesus says, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. Not your external obedience, but a heart that is reliant upon grace alone. A heart that obeys the call of the gospel this morning to follow me. When Christ calls you to be his disciples, he wants your whole heart, undivided, not your hard-earned works. He wants your love, he wants your affections, he wants your allegiances, mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus confirms his mission as he calls Matthew to be his disciple. As he undoubtedly calls those around the table to repentance and faith, he says, For I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. We come full circle here this morning. This is the key to interpret Matthew's call to follow Jesus. Jesus came to call a sinner to repentance. When he saw Matthew, this is what he saw he saw a sinner. He calls him to repentance in a life of following him. He does the same this morning. Will you follow him as a sinner? And only as a sinner. Wholly dependent on the blood and the righteousness of Christ, because there's no other way to follow him. He didn't come to call the righteous, he says. No works. Not even a right theology can earn you the right to be a disciple of Jesus. Yet the gospel comes this morning to remind even the self-righteous of where you need to be. Remember the words of Luke 18 where the Pharisee thought that he was better than the publican who was beating his breast and crying out for mercy. Jesus said, For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Congregation, will you follow Jesus? Will you forsake your own righteousness and cling to his? Because only then. Can you follow him? In any other instance, you'll be blinded by your own self-righteousness. But Jesus comes this morning once more and he says, follow me. Give me your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank thee for the gospel. We thank thee for Christ who calls sinners. Who redeems sinners, who saves sinners, like Matthew's. Lord, save us. I was reminded, even those who are professing believers, what it means to follow Thee. We confess that we get sidetracked, but Lord, Thou hast called us again to follow after Thee. We confess even the tendency to get caught up in our own self righteousness, in our own works. Lord, Thou hast called us to put a stop to that, to lean wholly on Thy righteousness, to follow Thee as a sinner, justified through Christ by faith. And so, Lord, we pray that Thou wilt take Thy Word and bring it home with power and the Holy Spirit. That we continue to meditate on these words. And as we come together for worship again this evening, that Thou will bless... Pastor Vanderswag, as he leads in worship, Lord, own thy word today also in the, the Chinese fellowship. That thou be exalted in our midst as the only Savior. Lord, hear us. We cry out once more as beggars. Have mercy upon us, Son of David. In his name we pray. Amen.